What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. You can also check out all of our other baseball work at Ethos Fantasy BB. we got a lot of exciting things going on there. Our draft guide is going to be coming out very soon. We talked about it yesterday and over the weekend on Sleeper in the Bus. Britton Allen is going to be starting a podcast here, a once-a-week uh, NFBC-based podcast. So make sure you guys are checking out all that great stuff that's going to be in uh, the Ethos Fantasy BB feed. We got another team preview today. We've taken the last couple of days off, but we have a great guest here to talk to us about the Kansas City Royals. I got to meet this man down in Arizona. We got to golf together. We got to have a few drinks together, have a few laughs. It was a great time. Mr. Kevin Hasting, you know him as a co-host of the On The Wire podcast with Pitcher List. You can find him over on Twitter at Hasting Kevin. Kevin, my friend, thank you for joining the show today. Oh, thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Always up for talking baseball and specifically Kansas City Royals. That's a, It's amazing today. So you're a Hawaii guy now, but were you? are you originally from Kansas or how, how did that work out your fandom there? No, uh, I wasn't from too far away, though, closer to Omaha, Nebraska, a couple hours away from Kansas City. But we had the AAA Royals, uh, and I'm not positive on this, but I they're at least still one of the, the longest-running affiliates for any major league team there in Omaha. They've been the AAA um, affiliate for Kansas City for decades and so yeah that's where it all started i was a royals fan growing up and then uh as we got older as soon as we were old enough we would start heading to kansas city on weekends so yeah it's been great george brett i guess uh holds a special place for you somewhere (laughs) oh absolutely favorite player of all time my dad who has no connection to kansas city whatsoever growing up born and raised in toronto his whole life adores george brett as well i think it was just that era uh, I think obviously that famous video of him hitting the home run and getting it taken away added to his allure a little bit. Uh, these Royals are maybe not those same Royals of the 1980s, but there is definitely still some fun players to talk about, specifically at the top of the lineup here. I'm not really sure how this lineup is going to break down come opening day, but right now they got MJ Melendez projected to be in the leadoff spot. Do you think we'll see him leading off? And what are your thoughts on him in general for 2023? I think for right now, we will see him leading off. Uh, It does appear he's probably going to get some time at designated hitter and left field in addition to uh, backing up Salvador Perez as the starting catcher. So, uh, yeah, I think he'll get the plate appearances at the top of the lineup for the most part. And, um, yeah, I mean, he had huge power in the minor leagues, and that's the part we didn't see in what was a pretty successful rookie season for Melendez. So if some of that power we saw in the minors comes around, he could be even better. I am huge on Melendez. Um, Anybody who has catcher eligibility mixed with another position, obviously very attractive. The projections are incredibly good for him. Uh, depending on where you look, Steamer has him for 25 homers, 80 runs scored, and 66 RBIs. In terms of catchers for the season, uh, he's he's pretty well-priced. He's going just outside of the top 100. Is he a huge target for you in terms of catchers in general? He's the seventh catcher off the board, um, but it really starts to thin out once you get to this get to this range. Yeah, you know, I don't think I have many teams with Melendez yet. 
probably one or two out of I've I've drafted probably eight to ten teams thus far, different formats, DCs, gladiators, uh 12 team fab leagues for our on the wire listener leagues. We've already completed some of those. And I I do have them in a couple of spots, not as many as I'd probably like because I agree, you know, the catcher eligibility here and the very real possibility that he's going to get near every day at bats because of being played in left field and at the designated hitter position really helps the the counting stats for the catcher position. You know, if he gets the 530 plus plate appearances that the different projection systems on fan graphs all have him slated for, then that's definitely going to be an asset for fantasy teams. Yeah, he's a huge value. I think right now, going past pick 100, him and Alejandro Kirk, as a side note, I think they're both great options if you want to wait a little bit on catcher. But especially if he's at the top of that lineup. Now, I, don't, I know it's not going to be you know the greatest lineup in the world, but there's a couple of really nice bats that are going to be behind him, specifically Bobby Wood Jr., who's projected to bat second. Now, I've talked a lot about Bobby Wood Jr. recently over the weekend on Sleeper in the Bust. I did a third base ranking show as well recently. I'm a little bit lower on him than the general consensus is. And I think part of it, a large part of it, is because his draft price has gotten very expensive. Are you in on Bobby Wood Jr.? Would you use a mid-first round pick on him this season? I would, but I have not yet. Um, I, I think the more I think about this, the more interested I am. You know, I, I wasn't in last season at his price, and it would seem probably a little contradictory to say now this season at his price which is mid to early first round is is kind of weird but i i just think that there's there's room for growth here there's room for him to outperform these projections uh if he takes any steps forward in the you know bringing up that walk percentage a little bit. He's he's projected for right around 6% where he was uh, below 5% last season. If there's a little more growth than that and he can get on base a little more, of course, that brings up more stolen base opportunities. But the fact that he's just across the board projected for at least, you know, 80-ish runs, RBI, uh, some of the projection systems have him quite a bit higher up into the 90s in in those categories. And, you know, like you said, the top half of the this lineup isn't as, as bad as we typically think of a Royals lineup with him there in that two spot behind Melendez and then Salvador Perez and Vinny Pasquantino coming up behind him. Uh, the, the run scored could, could spike here as well. And yeah, I, I just think there there's room for 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 growth here. There's room for him to outperform these projections. I love the player. I just hate the price. And I wish that the market hadn't gone and done this. You know, earlier in draft season, he was, I think, just outside the first round, 16, 17, ADP. I wanted shares, and I still do want shares, but when it comes up to that point of the draft, I, I haven't been able to do it myself yet. I've been in I guess I've done four leagues so far, and I find myself taking the Mookie Betts's and the Jordan Alvarez's and the Vladimir Guerrero's over him. Even though I'm losing some stolen bases, I feel the overall stat line is a little more secure with those guys. Now, obviously, I think third base eligibility is a huge factor for why he's going here. 
I just I haven't been able to pull the trigger yet like you and I'm hoping that you know I'm going to start doing some drafts over on Yahoo and CBS and kind of diversifying my sites a little bit I'm hoping that he is going in the second round there because I really do want shares I just haven't quite been able to do it yet I'm hoping that we we do get there and I think that there will be even just one league if I have to reach and get them a little bit higher than my comfortability level I'll do it just so I can have a share just so I can enjoy what is hopefully uh, a more successful year two even though year one was was very successful as well uh, but like you mentioned, there is still a lot of room for him to grow. We're still talking about a 22-year-old. I mean, there, there's there's a long way left to go for Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, after a 20-30 rookie season. Salvador Perez projected to bat third in this lineup. I don't think that's a, a stretch to expect that at all. He should be there pretty much every time he is in the lineup. And the question that I have for you, and I know it's kind of an unknown, is how much will he be in the lineup? We saw him play 161 games in 2021 kind of unrealistic for a catcher even if you are getting dh at bats this year he dealt with some injury trouble uh he played in 114 games still gave you great per game numbers uh the walk rate was not great but you know that's not accounting stat for fantasy uh you'll take what he gave you 23 dingers 76 rbis are you in on salvador perez for 2023 yeah absolutely i i think that his his power was there especially when he came back from the injury in 2022 so that's three seasons now of when he was playing he's been on this you know 35 plus home run pace for a season uh of course we know he, he spiked that 48 in 2021 i don't think we're going to approach that especially with the dead and ball and him playing his home games in kaufman stadium but i i think that you know the 130 to 140 games that projections have him for is probably realistic here uh even if completely healthy all season long and he's always been a guy he's a big guy so he gets banged up he's always getting hit by foul tips and it, it seems even more so than some other catchers around the leagues do he gets really banged up but plays through it for the most part and until there's a more serious injury like he had with the the thumb issue last season that he was playing through until they finally shut him down for a little bit and when and then once again when he came back that power was there that we had wanted from him so you know 30 home runs and 130 140 at bats is right where the projections have him and i think that's very realistic and that's going to give him a few more days off than we've seen when he was healthy in the past specifically that 2021 season you know but prior to that um the four seasons prior to the shortened 2020 you know between 129 and 142 games each season so i think that's what we're looking at and uh i think we can pretty safely expect what the projections have him for here i think that we can too there's a small worry in my brain that I mean, MJ Melendez is there to who will be able to spell him off and he can play DH more. He DH 40 times last season, but I think as he gets older, they'll try and get him out behind home plate more so. But I've heard reports that MJ Melendez is playing a lot of outfield and he's not expected to catch as much as maybe I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it was a mining the news article or where it was. Um, but we might not see Melendez behind the plate as much as we maybe expect. He might be more of a, you know, 10 to 30 kind of game catcher as opposed to like a 50 60 game guy maybe we don't see um him catching quite as much and maybe that in return makes Perez have to catch more more of an risk of a more of a risk of an injury perhaps I might be grasping at straws here but I just 
I, I feel pretty confident with Perez. I think I had him sixth when I did my catcher rankings, and I'll take him here in in certain builds. I just really like going with Melendez and Kirk, even if I can double tap them after pick 100 on uh, two catcher formats specifically there. Not nothing against Perez. I just think in terms of the catcher market, because it is a little bit deeper this year. I don't know that I am going to be taking him. Not that there's anything wrong with taking him where he's going. I think it's a reasonable price. It's come down a bit from last season. But there's something there that worries me a little bit, and I can't really put my finger on it exactly. I think that we should still see 30 homers, 80 some odd RBIs. I just think you can get similar kind of production a little bit farther down the board. It won't be the same kind of power numbers. You definitely won't get the exact same power from Melendez or from Kirk. But I feel a little bit safer there. Are you are you with me or am I am I going crazy here? No, no, that's definitely the, the possibility. In fact, roster resource has, you know, Furman as the backup catcher. Like they they're playing this as Melendez is probably playing more outfield in DH. And I think what you were referring to, I actually saw MJ Melendez said this himself in an interview that uh he was going to be uh, an everyday outfielder. So that that has been out there and is uh, within the realms of possibility here. And I don't think... I don't think that will hurt Perez too much. Uh, I think they'll still figure out a way to get him from behind the plate on occasion. If it's not going to be Melendez, they will have another backup catcher there. Um, I, I think it's interesting when you when you run the uh, the projections through an auction calculator like, like ATC. You know, Perez comes out top five i think with steamer he comes out number one and that's it's definitely the power numbers carrying that uh but uh to get him as the sixth or seventh catcher off the board if he does get these 550 plate appearances and and hit 30 of a 30 balls out of the park he's gonna definitely return value here definitely room for value just for me personally like i think in terms of what he's going to do Totally fair, totally fine price to pay. In terms of my own comfort level, I think I'm going to wait a little bit more. I've been doing a lot of mock drafts recently, and a lot of the time I'm getting Cal Raleigh, Kirk, I'm getting Melendez, and I'm trying to go for like second, third, cat, um, not really catcher, second, third, and relief pitcher early on. It's it's a weird year. I'm finding it a weird year to construct rosters because everything feels kind of weak. Every like catcher is generally weak. It's a little bit stronger this year, sure, but it's still not great. Second isn't great. Third isn't great. Outfield isn't great. You know, starting pitching is the only thing that really feels great to me this year. Everything else, you kind of have to get it early, and you are going to suffer one way or the other. Whether it is you're getting a catcher a bit later than you want, or third base, or something, it feels like there's a lot of different ways to construct your teams this season, and there's no right or wrong way. But Sal Perez at pick seventy, where he's going in these most recent drafts. It definitely feels like a very fair price to be paying. Now, this next guy, his price, I think I'm I'm not really sure how to feel on it just yet. And it has gone down a little bit recently. Vinny Pasquantino, he was going, I believe he snuck into the 80s earlier on in draft season. In these last uh, 32 draft champions, I'm just looking at the month of January and the first couple days of February here. He's just inside the top 100 at pick 98. I believe he's gone down about 10 picks or so. What is your outlook on Vinny P here over what will be his first full major league season? I'm really excited about Vinny Pasquantino. I think we we saw when he first came up in 2022 that the plate discipline 
and the hard hit percentage was there and he was struggling and those that that were paying attention to that were stayed bought in and they were rewarded as the season went along what we didn't see was the great power that he had shown in the minor leagues i mean he had some home runs for us but it, it wasn't it wasn't what we had seen you know when he was hitting home runs in the minor leagues and it's i think it's interesting the projections have him for you know mid low to mid 20s home runs I, there could be a couple more there. Um, they also only have him for 130 to 140 games played, which I understand is a, a, a fairly decent number these days. But in spite of how many players the Royals have that they're going to move around quite a bit, uh, in my opinion, I think he could get in there more than that. I think we could be looking at more of a 140 to 150 games played, which would help boost those numbers a little more. Um, it, I mean, you can't go wrong with the plate discipline. It's a rookie to to walk at a higher percentage than he struck out is absolutely amazing. That's my favorite stat probably in baseball in general, not just for Bobby Witt, but when you see somebody – he walks 35 times. He struck out 34 times. It's always very impressive, even with guys like we mentioned Kirk. I mentioned Kirk a few times, Alex Bregman, Andy Diaz. There's always, even if it's not necessarily directly correlated to fantasy, there is still going to be, you know, more times on base because of it. Maybe a, another steal or two. Now, I'm not sure Vinny's going to be stealing that much, but definitely a very attractive stat to be paying attention to. Uh, I, I agree. I think that he will be at first base almost every single time. Last year, he was almost an even split between first and DH. I don't think they're going to have that luxury this season. Uh, they're going to be DHing Melendez or or Sal Perez. I'm sure he'll DH a few times, but in general, he should be manning uh, the three spot pretty pretty consistently. Now, there is some some variables, some variance here with the projections. The Bat-X has him for 16 homers. Steamer has him for 25, over th only three more games played. So I think that, you know, in general, even the people who are making these systems, Derek Cardi, Ariel Cohen, uh, Dan Samborski, everybody is kind of not really 100% sure, or their computers aren't anyway, as to exactly how good he's going to be. But and everybody has agreed here. We're going to get at least a 270 batting average, decent home runs. And I think the RBIs could be something that really comes into play as well. With Melendez, with Witt, and with Sal Perez right in front of him, if he did drive in like 90 runs, it really wouldn't surprise me. So I think that he is probably a good bargain, especially because his ADP is going the right way right now. Um, I, I believe that he was late 80s. Now we're looking late 90s. Uh, I'm I'm pretty interested. I'm just going to take a look here in terms of all first basemen, but he's... He's fallen down a little bit seventh in terms of first baseman. He's going between Jose Abreu and, and Nathaniel Lau. I'm very, very happy to be taking him there personally. Yeah, and it's interesting with all the talk about the big drop-off at third base. It's not quite as pronounced, but you get into this range, you know, the, you get the top five first baseman off the board, uh, Matt Olson being the fifth. And even he's going 20 picks later than Paul Goldschmidt at at uh at four he's going matt olson's going 20 picks later jose abreu goes another 35 picks later Vinny pasquantino going right in that same spot as abreu they're going in the 90s so in that early to mid seventh round 
And then there's another drop off of 10 or 11 picks before Nate Lowe and another 20 some picks before Reese Hoskins. So it's, it's kind of like third base where you, if you don't get Abreu, Pasquantino, Nate Lowe here, if you hadn't taken one of the early guys, you're probably waiting because the Knicks group, we're talking Riz Hoskins, CJ Crone, Christian Walker uh, quite a bit later. So that there is that drop off at first base, uh, similar to what we're seeing at third base, just not quite as pronounced. I think the tiers are very drastically different. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at the first six or seven guys, I mean, okay, even the first five guys, you can make that a tier of its own. And then you got Abreu, Pasquantino, Lau. You can make that another tier, just in terms of price. And then Hoskins, Crone, Walker, Vaughn. That's about where my comfortability ends at the position, roughly with Andrew Vaughn. If you miss out on Vinny P, let's say you got to wait 20 some odd picks between your next pick. You know, you got a couple in a row and then you got to wait 20, 25, whatever picks. First base might be a very different landscape between pick 100 and pick 125. There might be a lot of guys going off the board there. So taking Vinny just around pick 100 and securing, you know, kind of not exactly the back end of of the acceptable range, but we're starting to get to that range where, you know, you're you're approaching the cliff. And if you don't get Vinny P, you better hope you get Reese Hoskins or Christian Walker or one of these guys because it's it's going to get ugly pretty quickly. I would not be at all opposed uh, to taking Pasquantino where he's going right now. Specifically, if the price keeps going down, hell, if he gets into the 100s, I'll be even happier. Now, this is where the lineup kind of falls off a little bit here. I mean, eh, a little bit, being being kind. Um, Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, Hunter Dozier, Michael Massey, Drew Waters. I don't want to lump them all in together, but what are your thoughts generally about the lineup once you get Vinny P? Is there much optimism there in Kansas City or in Hawaii, I guess I should be saying? Well, there could be, but the problem is once we get to this point already, (laughs) right, at the five spot in the lineup, there are so many questions about who's going to get the playing time. From here on out, the rest of the lineup, we just don't know. Um, I really want to see Drew Waters as the everyday center fielder uh, until uh, either Nick Lofton or Tyler Gentry is possibly ready. Um, So roster resource seems to have that uh, with him in the nine spot, jumping down here um, with the most playing time projected for the the rest of the lineup in fact the only one after those top four projected for over 500 plate appearances that's the problem here it's not even the evaluation of these players and what they can do when they're playing this is going to be really difficult until we see some spring training games and quite a few of them and actually get towards the end of spring training. And then we have the world baseball classic that some of these guys are playing. So we're not going to have a really good idea uh, until later in draft season. And that's a big problem for those of us drafting right now. Um, You know, Edward Olivares is who they have here in the five spot. We've wanted to see him get regular run for a couple of seasons now, and he might finally, but we haven't seen what he can do when he's getting regular run. And we still don't know if he's going to get those plate appearances. Interesting that, you know, he's highest in the lineup for the rest of these guys, but the least amount of projected plate appearances, uh, really interesting. Um, 
Kyle Isbell, they have never let him hit lefties. They've never given him an opportunity. I don't know if the new front office and new coaching staff in Kansas City is going to make a change there, but uh, the way the Royals have handled him in the past, he is only going to face right-handed hitters in spite of his great defense. So, a right-handed pitchers, excuse me. And then, you know, we 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 still got Hunter Dozier, Michael Massey. I I I'd like to see Nate Eaton crack this lineup and I think he could um depending on how much run they're going to give Hunter Dozier here, how much leash he still has. I mean, there's all kinds of questions and most of them don't have anything to do with uh projected player performance. It is interesting because there's, you know, once you get past those top four guys that we mentioned, Witt, Vinny P, Sal Perez, and Melendez, they're all projected for over 130 games on ATC. And then you got Waters for 115, Dozier 110, Isbell 109, Nicky Lopez 106. It's very muddy Waters and going to Drew Waters, not to make it, it was a horrible attempt (laughs) at a a pun there. He's projected for the most games outside of those top four guys. And I just, it really speaks to the team in general. Like I, it'll lead me to push down the other guys ahead of them a little bit, just because I think that they're going to suffer in terms of the run score, just because of the lack of name brand, but not that you need to be name brand to be a good baseball player necessarily, but I don't have a hell of a lot of faith in any of these guys. Waters projections, depending on what system you look at, they're not terrible. I mean, uh, Steamer has them for 13 homers, 13 steals, and a 240 batting average. You'd probably take that. Let me take a look where he's going in drafts. Pick 430. I think in a DC, uh, you'll you'll take that, especially if he meets the projected 115, 120 games. But to your point, are we going to get 115, 120 games out of any of these guys? It's really makes it difficult to draft any of them for fantasy. I mean, if you're talking shallow leagues, 12-team, three-outfielder, standard like home league sizes, I don't think you can take any of them. I think that they more fall into the the DC 15 team category. What do you think there? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe in uh, uh, deeper fab leagues, if you have an inclination that any of them may, you know, out get more playing time than what's being projected. Uh, like I kind of feel that way about Drew Waters, at least to start the season. I think you can take him in a deeper fab league, knowing that it's an easy cut if they're not getting the playing time. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, I don't think there's too much else to really go over in this lineup, just to summarize, essentially the top four guys, excellent, could be even better than expected. Uh, the bottom five in the lineup, not the rosiest, but... Still hope, potentially, if those guys get plate appearances, if Edward Olivares does. If Isbell does, projected as well for double-digit homers and steals, depending on what projection you look at. There could be some deeper league value to be had on the board as you really approach uh, draft season. I know we've been drafting for a while here, and actually the draft that we did in Arizona is just going to be wrapping up today. Um, But most people haven't started drafting yet, and there is still going to be some chances for for some value a little bit farther down the board anyway. I just I didn't even realize here that Edward Olivares was originally signed by the Blue Jays. I'd completely forgotten that <laughs> in 2014. It feels like a long time ago. But let's move on to the pitching staff. And I don't think this will be a terribly long segment here talking about the pitching staff for fantasy purposes. Zach Grinke projected to be the ace. I mean, maybe they're just you know projecting him as the SP1 because he's likely to get the start on opening day. Is there any juice left in the tank here for Zach Grinke? Uh, 
and it, it, not for fantasy purposes. I, the strikeouts just will not be there. He, he doesn't strike anybody out any longer. It, you know, what's interesting to me is this offseason, the Royals signed Jordan Lyles, and immediately he was slotted in the, the first spot in the rotation on roster resource. And then they signed Zach Grinke, and he slides into the number one spot, sliding Jordan Lyles to, to number two. Ryan Yarborough is, comes in at number four. Uh, it, you have these guys, uh, you know, all in their thirties, Zach Rinke pushing 40 and they are three of your top four starters. When you sign them in the off season, that's about all you need to know about the starting rotation. It's not the greatest. I mean, the price on Grinky, <laughs> to be fair, the price on Grinky at six sixty. Eh, when you get to that range of a DC, he's projected for 130 odd innings at about a four, four ERA. It's not the greatest, but at that point of a DC, would you would you hit the draft button on him or just out altogether? Well, it it's possible. Uh, the problem is with some of these guys like Zach Grinky, uh, and it it pains me to say this, but I would be much more interested if he was the number five starter on a good team than I am with him being the number one starter on the Kansas city Royals. Um, and, and it's all about wins. Uh, the wins just are not probably going to be there for him. And when you're not getting upside in strikeouts or ratios, we are literally just looking at an innings eater here. And that can be beneficial to a major league baseball club, but there's nothing here that that gives us value that I can see for a fantasy baseball team. Um, I mean, good matchups, stream him, hoping for the win. That's really all you're looking for because you're not getting great ratios or strikeouts. So the only thing we're looking for from him is wins. And in most cases, that's probably not going to be something we want to bet on. Yeah, they're probably going to be few and far between for this Royals team. Uh, they won 65 games last year. I'd probably take the over on that this year, but not by a hell of a lot, maybe 70, 75 victories. One arm in the rotation that I'm actually very interested in is Brady Singer. And, you know, the market seems to be fairly interested in him as well. He's a top 200 draft pick. Um, he is, I mean, other than Scott Barlow, the highest drafted pitcher on this team. What are your thoughts on Brady Singer? He's also the only starter projected for a sub four ERA, sub four FIP in this rotation. Could we be on the verge of a breakout for him? Maybe. I, I think, you know, uh a couple of seasons ago when when Singer first came around and he he was actually asked about not having a, a third pitch. And he in an interview publicly said, I don't need a third pitch. Well, yeah, he does. And <laughs> so throughout last season. Uh, he did throw his changeup a little more, and that seemed to help, but it's not, it wasn't a really good changeup. It was more of a, you know, show me pitch to kind of keep everything else, in, in, you know, keep the, the hitters off balance a little bit. It wasn't a great pitch. If he can improve that changeup, he could take a step forward here from what we saw. And with the 10 wins, I know wins are totally random, but he was the one pitcher in this staff that kept the Royals in games. So he got 10 victories out of those 65 wins they had last season. Um, and he could be 
a better pitcher in 2023 if uh, that changeup can be a little better than it was in 2022. So I like the excitement. Um, he is going to get the innings, and uh, the projections reflect that, throw, showing him for, you know, 175 to 180-ish innings on the season. That's kind of, other than just a small handful of guys, that's kind of what we're shooting for these days. So, yeah, I like Brady Singer, and, and, and especially where he's going, getting him, you know, 200 spots into a draft. It's 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 worth a shot here, especially since – I, I think it's possibly he could be better than he was in 2022. He's going as the 72nd pitcher off the board. Uh, you can't sort by relievers and uh, starters on NFBC on their website, but the 72nd pitcher, it certainly feels like a decent bargain. When you look at the fact that he had more strikeouts than the previous year, uh, percentage-wise, he upped it by about 2%. Cut his walk rate from 9 down to 5.6%. The whip went from 1.55 to 1.14. Now, He's not a massive strikeout guy, still at 24%. But if he can keep the walks at bay, uh, we don't need to see a ton of wins out of him for him to return value. Steamer has him for 11 wins. I think if you get 11 wins with okay strikeout numbers and then pretty solid ratios, I think we'd be pretty happy with that. I just want to take a look at the whip projection. Uh, they're expecting it a little bit worse than last year, about 1.25. But I think we would probably live with that, even though it's a touch on the higher side. Uh, considering where he is going. And I think as the season progresses, he will be considered the ace of that staff. He already probably is. Uh, they're just, I think, slotting in Grinky there because I think they'll give him one more opening day start, likely his swan song this year. Uh, maybe he maybe he sticks around another year. I don't know. But I think they'll give him the opening day start just to send him off in that fashion should he end up retiring. And Singer will emerge as probably the best member of this rotation over the course of the whole season. Uh, any interest in Ryan Yarbrough, Brad Keller? Um, may, maybe late in DCs. As you mentioned, we're finishing up one right now. And uh, when you get to the late 40s rounds, uh, the pickings are pretty slim. Uh, I haven't grabbed either of these guys. I don't even know if Brad Keller is going to be in the rotation. I know that roster resource has him as the five right now, but that it could actually be Daniel Lynch. It could be Chris Bubich. One thing. So what's making this even more difficult is the Royals completely cleaned house on the pitching coaching side this off season. So we have all the college pitchers that they drafted three or four years ago that have underperformed thus far even brady singer i think has underperformed expectations of, of some and the rest of these guys koar bubich lynch have vastly underperformed what people thought they could do it's going to be really interesting to see what happens and this is something to keep a close eye on because with the new completely new pitching staff uh and you know it was kind of watching Royals games and reading different Royals beat writers throughout the season. There was huge concerns with what pitches and what locations their pitchers were being told to throw to. So there could be some big changes here. If these guys have completely different philosophies heading into games, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on all of these guys uh, but I don't think it would be 
some of the older veterans like Yarbrough and Keller that are the benefactors. It would be the young guys that that have underperformed thus far. Those are the ones I'm keeping an eye on. And I'd probably be more likely to take a stab at one of them late in a DC because if there is improvement, then they have uh, much higher ceilings than than the veterans that are slotted into the rotation right now. Yeah, there's definitely room for it. There's a lot of Royals going past pick 700. Uh, there's actually, by ADP, um, like 12 of them that go between 700 and 750, most of them being pitchers. So there is some last round dart throw value to be had there. Uh, if you're in a draft champions, if you're playing on the NFBC, they're not going to cost you anything. Once, Like you said, once you get down to the late 40s, like I took Steven Strasburg in the 50th round because – Hell, there's no one else sitting there. Strasburg is one of the only names you really even know. Maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. But you take your chances when you get to that point of a draft. Um, last thing I really want to talk about is the bullpen. And it seemed to be pretty solidified as of a week or so ago with Scott Barlow expected to take on the bulk of the closer role. Now a role this Chapman signed with Kansas City, which is about, you know, if you were to ask me to rank 1 through 30, his list of possible destinations Kansas City would have been in the bottom five for what I would have expected. People thought he was going to go play for the Marlins close to Cuba, somewhere in Florida or wherever. I did not expect Kansas City. Do you think that he is going to get the first crack at the closer role? Is this going to be a platoon of sorts? What are your what are your expectations here out of the Kansas City bullpen? Well, it appears he was told that he would close games. And he signed for uh, less money and with a uh, not as good team as some other offers that he was reportedly given. So it appears Aroldis Chapman will get at least some save opportunities to start the season. And the Royals need him to perform well because this is a flip. They're hoping to get something for him at the trade deadline, one-year deal. What's interesting, though, is uh, are they going to move Scott Barlow back uh you know into that fireman role that he has excelled at you know 24 saves last season was the most of his career uh but that was nearly 75 percent the royals only had 33 saves as a team i expect that number to go up uh but um scott barlow had the you know vast majority of those last season the other name here because i could see scott barlow being traded before the season started starts if this is the route they're going to go if chapman was told he's going to be able to close maybe they trade scott barlow prior to the season then that brings dylan coleman into play who i have been drafting late because even if he doesn't get save opportunities he has the strikeout numbers and the potential for for nice ratios if he can bring his walk rates down a little bit uh to to still have some value uh, for a fantasy team without getting saves, uh, one of the you know setup guys, spec closers, those types of guys that that we like in some of these deeper leagues. So again, there's almost more questions here than answers, unfortunately. But um, back to your original question, uh, it really appears that Chapman was told he will get some closing opportunities, at least some. So it almost makes it impossible to draft Barlow where he's going. Uh, 112 is his ADP. He's going inside the top 100 in some drafts. Minimum pick of 88 in the month of January. 
I can't do it now. I mean, I wasn't really going to be so inclined to do it before, even though he was very good. Uh, he did outperform his metrics by about a run last season, a little more than a run. So maybe he got a little bit lucky. And now you got to roll this Chapman in there. Uh, it, it makes it very hard to pull the trigger on him. Maybe there's going to be some righty lefty stuff. If they're facing, you know, three righties, they go to Barlow. If it's two lefties and a righty, they go to Chapman kind of thing. It does make me very nervous. Um, are you, I mean, I guess we're drafting Chapman at this point, considering where his price is. The market will adjust and he'll go up and up, but 339 over the last month. Uh, if I shorten those filters, let's just see over the last couple of weeks, maybe the price is even higher on Chapman. Uh, 321. Yeah, it's just going to keep going up and up. Um, are you taking some shares of Chapman, I guess, right now while you can, or are you just not really interested at all? What, what are your thoughts there? I, I have several, and I was taking him early before he signed with the the um, thought that if he played baseball in Major League Baseball in 2023, it would be as a closer. Now, that's not as cut and dry as I had hoped uh, with him signing with the team that already has Scott Barlow, uh, but I, I don't think I'll be drafting him anymore at uh, the increase in cost. Um, I, 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 but I'm, I'm okay with the shares that I have, in spite of wishing it was with a team where it, it was probably more definite that he was going to be the guy to start, and and he very well could be. What's really interesting to me about Scott Barlow recently in drafts since this signing is he has been taking very early a couple of times, but just two drafts back, he was picked at pick 334. Barlow? Uh, Barlow was? Yeah. yeah. Wow. 334 is is his, <laughs> his second most recent draft slot uh, prior to that 148 you brought up. And much he was been taken much earlier uh, in some drafts previous to that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, where he continues to fall because he is going to fall. And then we get to that point where, okay, Scott Barlow prior to 2022 was still valuable in, in deeper uh, fantasy formats as that spec closer slash uh, can still get you value, maybe pick up some wins and a save or two here and there, but give you good ratios and some strikeouts. And knowing that Aroldis Chapman is either A, going to fail, and Scott Barlow's right back into the role, or B, if he's successful, he's going to be traded, then Barlow's right back in the mix if they don't trade him prior to the season. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the fact that they're going to give Chapman a shot – I guess he signed there because they said he would, but he's been awful recently. Aroldis Chapman, last season, it, I, I had to refresh fan graphs because, like I mentioned to you before, or my computer's been acting on the fritz a little bit, and I thought this might be a glitch. His walks per nine last year was 6.94. He walked 17.5% of batters, and that's not exactly a new trend. He's always been walking batters. 2021 was 15.5%. The strikeout rate went down to 26.7 or 26.9%, which for most pitchers would be very good, but it's like a 15% drop from his career rate. So I think that he's probably pretty close to being cooked at this point. I don't know how much value they're going to get out of him. I think what you said earlier on is most likely that they'll try and, you know, get a couple of good months out of him, ship him off for some prospects uh, come July and August. And I think that's what's likely going to happen, but it does make it very tricky 
to be drafting either of these guys because we don't know. Barlow is going to go down. Uh, the helium will be with Chapman specifically once we get into spring training. I'm not sure if he's going to be pitching for Cuba at the World Baseball Classic. I probably should have looked that up. I'm not sure. But hypothetically, let's say he is and he has a couple of nice innings there. You'll just see him keep going up and up. And the skills have been deteriorating these last couple of years. I'm not sure I'd want it either way. Um, but that's pretty much the Kansas City Royals for you. Um, we don't really know how they're good they're going to be. I think the top half of the lineup can be excellent. It does tail off after that. I'm liking Brady Singer, and I do like Barlow, but tricky team, Kev. Uh, it's going to be a tricky team to be rooting for this season. I think the future is bright, but as of right now, would you be taking the over on that 65 win total from last year? Yeah, I think they'll win more games than that. I think that the the offensive lineup, in spite of the questions of who who's even going to be in it <laughs> in the bottom half, I think is going to be better. The lineup as a whole improved. They they made their changes with the hitting side of the coaching staff in season in 2022. And as a whole, the lineup improved. Um, and one other thing I want to add on Aroldis Chapman, this is a quote from David Lesky of inside the crown. I did talk to someone who I trust who has very good Intel into what the organization is doing. He says there's a fixable mechanical issue that they have found and believe they can fix. It's very easy to scoff at them fixing someone's mechanics. But remember, this is a new big league team of pitching instructors. Nobody knows if they're capable of something like that, though it sort of sounds like they've got the right mix from what you hear around the game. So that's really interesting on the, the, the you know, the all the issues that Chapman was showing last season, especially with the walk rates uh, that uh, evidently, uh, the new coaching staff in Kansas City thinks that they see something that they can fix. Well, they're going to have to cut that walk rate in half if they're going to make any noise. At, at least. least, and then maybe cut it, <laughs> and then maybe cut it in half again. Exactly, because um, <laughs> it's very shocking to see a walk rate for a pitcher at seventeen and a half percent. But he's always been a little volatile for the career. He's looking at twelve percent, but it's still a shocking number. Um, regardless, though, it should be fun to monitor. Have. It was great talk with you again here, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk some Royals today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joe. Can't wait to see you in person again, hopefully on the golf course uh, in yes. late October, early November. I can't wait. I wish I could make it out to Florida and go to Vegas and go to New York and go to every single fantasy baseball event just so I could pick the brains of guys like yourself and all the great people in the industry. Uh, my pockets will be crying, so I won't be doing that just yet. But I think uh, come November, we'll definitely be hitting the links again at some point. Do you want to just remind everybody what you do? I mentioned off the top, but uh, where they can find you, what it is that you got going on with Pitcher List. Yeah, absolutely. I co-host uh, On The Wire podcast with Adam Howe, who is absolutely amazing. Um, we, in season typically record as late as possible on Saturday evening and then get that out bright and early Sunday morning before our Sunday evening fabs run. And then I also put out a fab article weekly for Pitcher List as well uh, that may have a couple of other names, some updates from what we talked about on the podcast as more news comes in as we get closer to sunday evening um those types of things and i'm, I'm actually uh looking at putting that out a day or two earlier this season so there's more time to take a look at it and then i can edit it as the weekend goes along for any changes prior to sunday night fab runs but yeah everything's over at pitcherlist.com 
You guys can check out Kevin on Twitter at Hasten Kevin. I'm at Joe Orico 99. And you can find these podcasts and all the rest of our content at Ethos Fantasy BB. If you guys want it right at the source, go to sportsethos.com. Get all coverage of all four of our major sports, uh, fantasy, wagering, and all that other great stuff. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow will be Marlins Day. We'll be here with Mike Curlin. But until then, enjoy, everybody. Take care and cheers. Cheers.